We are in Surah Al-Ghafir, Surah number 40, and Ayah number 10. A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitan Ar-Rajeem, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Inna al-ladheena kafaru yunadawna la maqtullahi akbaru min maqtikum anfusakum. إِذْ تُدْعَوْنَ إِلَى الْإِيمَانِ فَتَكْفُرُونَ Those who disbelieve, they will be called. And the following will be said. لَمَقْتُ اللَّهِ أَكْبَرُ مِنْ مَقْتِكُمْ أَنفُسَكُمْ Allah's anger is greater than your anger against yourself. When you were called towards iman in the world and then you disbelieved. When people are given warnings and signs and giving the message to believe in Allah and they reject the message that Allah terms here as rejecting themselves, hating themselves, the self-haters. So the hatred you had for yourself in not believing in Allah in the world, Allah's hatred for you today is greater and stronger. It's a very severe ayah, shows Allah's total, not just displeasure, but anger and rage, as that those who refuse to believe in his existence and also in his commands. So, this obviously is on the back of the angels who carry the throne of Allah and those who are around those angels making dua for the forgiveness of believers. So the heavenly angels, they supplicate and petition for those who believe in Allah. As for those who don't believe in Allah, there is no rahmah and there is only divine anger. So this is a comparison between that group and this group. So this group unfortunately decided to incur Allah's wrath and anger and the other group because of their belief in Allah incurs the attention of uh, the angels. This group incurs the dissatisfaction of the angels and hence the anger of Allah comes upon them. So you can see here Allah is making a distinction between those who believe 
and those who don't believe. Now, those who believe invariably will commit sin. And that is why the angels of Rahmah ask Allah to forgive them at the lowest level, which I mentioned last week. Mm. At the highest level, they ask Allah to protect them from sin. Mm. But even at the lowest level, they are still petitioned, uh, and um, the angels still solicit Allah's forgiveness for them, merely because they believe in Allah. Those who don't believe in Allah, they draw no such attention and they draw the hatred and the anger of not only the divine but also the angels uh, who are there. Oh. So that is why Iman, that's why this surah is also named Al-Mu'min, the believer to show the value of Iman, the value of faith and so on. It's called Al-Ghafir because one of Allah's name is Al-Ghafir mentioned in the first few ayahs of the surah, the one who forgives. But forgiveness is dependent upon iman. If you have iman, Allah does forgive, will forgive. If you don't have iman, Allah will not forgive. And that's just the way the system works. فَاَعْتَرَفْنَا بِذُنُوبِنَا فَهَلْ إِلَىٰ خُرُوجٍ مِّنْ سَبِيلٍ They will confess and attest and proclaim uh, that uh, you have caused us to die twice and you have given us life twice. This may be interpreted in any which way uh, that comes in the Qur'an and in the Sunnah given us life when uh, we were not living in the mother's womb or before that and then given us life after death and given us death also twice killing us in at the time of death and killing us again here in this world and so on yeah so this could be as I said a number of interpretations so we have now conceded our sins, we have acknowledged and recognized our sins. So is there any exit for us? Is there any way out for us to come out from this uh, damnation? And so on. So they'll be asking for a reprieve and they'll ask Allah to, to, to give them a second chance. And so on. So meaning that at that time, their repentance will have no meaning. Repentance is while you're in this world, you repent and you concede and you acknowledge, you recognize your mistakes, your sins, and then that is when Allah forgives. But when you meet him on the day of judgment, it is too late to recognize the sins because the procedure for hisab and accountability has started. ذَلِكُمْ بِأَنَّهُ إِذَا دُعِيَ اللَّهُ وَحْدَهُ كَفَرْتُمْ وَيُشْرَكْ بِهِ تُؤْمِنُوا فَالْحُكْمُ لِلَّهِ الْعَلِيِّ الْكَبِيرِ And this is because whenever you are called and asked to believe in Allah and make dua to Allah alone, 
without committing any shirk, then you would disbelieve and deny Allah's tawheed, Allah's oneness. And if it was that you allowed to associate partners with him, then you would believe. So if someone came to you and said, just worship Allah, that's it, then you would frown and you would say, what is this worship of God? God means nothing to me in this world. But if you are saying that there is some partnership with God, and others also have certain powers and abilities like God, and they're able to facilitate life for you, like God, and then you would start believing and then seeing the uh, amazing benefits of being uh, someone who submits to Allah's will. Uh, so this has a, a slightly different interpretations. One is that if you, obviously with uh, polytheists and idol worshippers, if they, they were allowed to worship these idols, uh, they would believe in the message of Muhammad uh, which is what they said. They said to the Prophet you stop condemning our gods and we will be with you. Allow us to worship our gods. The Prophet said no, that's not happening. You can't worship these gods and receive divine favor. So they, they committed shirk and they disbelieved. That is obviously the obvious understanding of this ayah. Another understanding which is broader okay, is when human beings don't trust Allah enough that they assume other beings are just like God in their abilities uh, to give them what they need in life, like your employer, like the company that you work for, like the government, and like other systems or the bank, or family members and other people in your life, that they behave just like God in your life. And then as soon as they give you something, then you are at ease and at peace. And then you start worshipping Allah with it. Okay. So the second group of people, they're kind of hypocritical in their actions, even though they believe in one Allah and so on. So they may be included uh, in the ambit of this ayah, in the construct of this ayah. It's something to think about as Muslims. What does this ayah mean for Muslim? Does it only refer to the non-Muslim? Or is it referring to the Muslim also? So the reader should be aware that it may also apply to him or her uh, as they go about understanding the beauty of Tawheed. Trusting Allah alone, worshipping Allah alone. Not because Allah provides for you, but because He is Allah. Right. So if you hold Allah contingent and almost a hostage to His uh, favor upon you, then that's not pure worship of Allah. Wahda. Ida Allah wahda. That's not wahda. That's not pure tawheed. You worship Allah because He's worthy of worship. Period. You don't worship Allah because He gives you favors, <laughs> yeah, which might be okay 
to begin with, but when you go into the ranks of Tawheed, then that has to disappear. You worship Allah uh, without any condition and without any demand and so on. And that is also perhaps an explanation of desire. Allah knows best. هو الذي يريكم آياته وينزل لكم من السماء رزقا وما يتذكر إلا من ينيب. He is the one that shows you his ayat, his signs, and his proofs and his evidences that he sends down to you. Signs in the cosmos, in the coal where he does this and he does that. He creates and he destroys and destroys and he and he provides for you signs of his existence in you, in your life, in your surroundings, in your environment, in history, and in the universe. He shows you so many signs. And also he shows you signs in revelation of the Qur'an, that when you read the ayat of the Qur'an, these ayat speak so clearly and loudly about his tawheed, his oneness. And he is the one who shows you these signs of guidance and so on. Uh, so this is the uh, divine process by which Allah provides guidance for people in both ways. In terms of revelation of the Qur'an, which is in words, uh, and also in terms of creating. So Allah's guidance is in his creation. You must think about creation as a means of guidance, so that you're guided from the creation to the creator. This is what Allah does all the time in everyone's lives. So every individual will know and realize and recognize that Allah is speaking to me through this sign, subjectively. I don't mean you make that part of sharia, but subjectively he's talking to me. This is not happening or this has happened. So who's in control? Allah does this and Allah does that and who is the creator. So those are signs and the other signs as I mentioned the ayat of the Quran when you read them, recite them, think about them, understand them then there are signs uh, for his existence also. And then he sends down for you from the heavens, from the sky risk, provision. Uh, this the ulama of tafsir say this is water since water is the source of risk uh, for human beings and plants and vegetation and also grass fodder for animals and then animals uh, they give us fodder and they give us food and meat and then other forms of vegetables and fruits uh, they all rely upon rain and water from the heavens so the word risk here refers to the means by which risk comes, meaning the eventual destination of the water and the rain is that you will get food because the rain comes down from the sky. So just as Allah sends down revelation and signs from the sky, he also sends down your food from the sky, which is another ayah, which is another proof. If you didn't send rain from the sky, then you wouldn't have anything. Hmm? Yeah, so who does that? You say, Allah is the one who does that. No one can claim that he or she sends down the rain from the sky. Hmm? There's no government, and there's no scientists, and there's no one 
on the planet who can make that claim, who has made that claim. Allah is the one, the only one who has ever made that claim in human history. And there's no one there to deny this reality, uh, this phenomenon. Okay? So this is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks to people uh, that uh, the food that you eat, uh, its origins are in the sky, in the heavens. Allah says in another ayah, in the heavens is your risk. Your risk is written in the heavens and the heavens bring down rain and in with that rain you get your food and sustenance and everything else. Because if you didn't have that, you wouldn't have food, you wouldn't have clothing, you wouldn't have shelter. What you get in the barren desert? Nothing. What you get in these, uh, the ice uh, kind of caps and the tundra when there's only ice and snow nothing nothing lives nothing exists okay? in order for anything to exist on the planet you need rain and water that rain will go on water will bring you food clothing and shelter and everything else in order for your life so life now depends on water on rain and that is in the sky so who brings down that from the sky the one who brings down hidayah and guidance from the sky. It's the same process of tanzil, right? Uh, so the word he is used is tanzil. Tanzil is of two types. One is tanzil of something that is material, and the other is tanzil of something that is immaterial, bringing down. Tanzil means to bring down. So Allah brings down wahi, revelation, and signs. And then he also brings down rain. But the process is the same. That process is called tanzil. So then you join the two together and you said, Who is the one who sends? So Allah is the one who sends. And only the one who turns to him will now take heed and understand this. So now what is your now prerogative and imperative? Your imperative and prerogative is to turn to him, uh, the one who sends. The one who turns to him. Understand? Anyway, so those who turn to Allah, they're guided. They are guided because they have turned to him. So now you must turn to him yeah, so that he continues to send down and do this tanzil business. If you don't turn to the source of your life, who is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then there's no guarantee that he will help you when you meet him. So this is how you do Allah's ibadah and worship solely for Allah's sake. So all Muslims, now you must call, supplicate and petition Allah. Hmm. Yeah, this word ud'u refers to everything. Allah, call, supplicate and petition only Allah. Sincerely Deen is for him alone and only him. Ah. Meaning the process of ibadah and calling Allah is deen. 
how you worship is your deen. What is your deen? The deen is the way you worship. So you must now worship Allah solely and sincerely for his sake and no, nothing else and no one else. So you can call him, you can make dua to him, you can supplicate, you can petition, uh, you can implore and you can beg and you can demand and all of that. Huh? So whichever way it is, when you are in the state of ibadah, worshipping Allah, this must be sincere and pure. Even though the disbelievers may dislike it and the disbelievers hate it. That how can you do this as a human community and society that only worship Allah and your purpose of life seems to be worship. Uh, sort of thing. Meaning those who disbelieve do not like the idea that those who believe worship the way they worship. And that's the first level of dislike and uh, abhorrence and hatred and all of that. Mm. So it is primarily because the way you worship is not the way they worship. That is kafirun, those who disbelieve. So when you disbelieve, then you don't worship the way a believer worships, and that is the first point of difference, which is the greatest point of difference. Everything else is now uh, secondary. What you eat and what you wear and how you behave, that is secondary to the way you worship. So that's why Islam is defined as worship first, and then your values second. So if you have good values but you worship Allah uh, with shirk, then you're not a good person. Right? Because your worship defines who you are. So in Islam you're defined by the way you worship the divine. Primarily at the first level. That's your identification. At the second level, because you follow the Prophet in behavior, you have good values and good morals. So you follow the Prophet in ibadah, the way you worship, and you follow the Prophet in behavior, and that is your definition of a Muslim, those who follow the Prophet. But if you have good behavior and no worship, then you're not a follower. And if you have good worship and no behavior, you're still not a follower. Except the second one is still subject to salvation and forgiveness from Allah because he's got the first part right, which is how to worship. I don't worship the way you worship. You have your deen. Deen here means worship. And uh, I have my deen and you have your deen. So the way you will present Islam is then that uh, Islam is defined by the way you worship Allah primarily. It's not, divide, it's not defined by love and prosperity and respect and so on. That comes in because you're still following the Prophet So this is how now he will see. So when you worship Allah, when you call Allah, when you petition Allah, and when you supplicate to Allah, 
then it must be the way the Prophet ﷺ did so. And that must be through only Tawheed, that you're asking only Allah, and you're worshipping Him because He's worthy of worship, not because He's giving you things. Total sincerity. Now, when you call Him, you're asking Him for a favor. But that's different from worshipping Him because He's doing you a favor. I mean, how do you ask Allah for a favor? You do salat the way the Prophet did so. And how did he do so? So he did not put any condition on Allah when he worshipped him. Allah, I'm only going to worship you if you do this. Well, that's not worship then, that's shirk. Uh, albeit it's not a, a technical shirk, but still it's a, it's a shirk in your intention. So you must worship Allah without any condition. Um, I'm worshipping you because you are worthy of worship and because I want to worship you. Mm. Not because I want you to do me a favor. Mm. Yeah. Then, after you worship him, you ask him for a favor. That is fine. That is the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ when he made dua. So you make dua in salat outside of salat because you have worshipped him sincerely. So what happens is that you get the bonus. Yeah. And if he doesn't do you a favor immediately, he'll do you the biggest favor on the Day of Judgment, and that is allow you to enter Jannah, which is a favor, beyond all favors. So that's how you must understand how you worship and why you worship. Now, this is distasteful to the non-believer. Because an unbeliever doesn't understand how you can worship someone without any demand from the worshipper. Um, so the, the um, pun is that from the non-Muslim, Muslims go to prayer in Jummah and they don't have any food or clothing or shelter. But they still worship their God who provides them nothing. We say that's the point. That is the point that they worship him, even though apparently he doesn't do what he does for these people. Yeah, because that's a very Protestant understanding that divine guidance is now measured by divine providence. The more Allah gives you in money and material and success, the more that he is divine. So we say that's nonsense. That's baloney. Yeah. Because we're not limited and restricted to divine favor in this world. Our divine favor extends to the other world. So now, if you have very, very, very poor Muslims in a village somewhere in Africa and Asia, and they all congregate for Jummah, and they have very meager means, and their masjid is also very, very kind of humble, but they do their Jummah properly and they ask Allah, then that is success. That is why you say, Hayya ala al-falah, in your adhan, come to success. That is the success. Meaning, they are worshipping Allah unconditionally, whereas you're worshipping God conditionally. And if God doesn't give you, then you acquire it by force, and by trickery, 
and by deception and by hypocrisy and by deceit. Okay. That's the mistake of the worshipper. That I want God to give me this by hook or crook. So then what do you do? You loot, plunder, you exploit, you colonize, you manipulate, and you do everything under the sun to make sure that God's providence is with you. You cheat, you lie, you fraud, you deceive, and you con people, basically. And then you say, this is divine providence. That's not divine providence, and that is providence from the devil. <laughs> you understand? So a Muslim cannot afford to worship God conditionally. Yeah, so you must worship Allah unconditionally. Then, after you worshipped him, you may ask Allah, Allah provide this for me, give this for me, give this for me. If he does, that's his favor and ni'mah. And if he doesn't, then you continue worshipping him. Because the ultimate favor is for you to end the Jannah. And you will do that if you worship him unconditionally. So that is how you extend the realm of favor to the other world. And if you limit to this world, then you're in trouble. Because then you'll panic and you'll be angry and then you'll reject Allah and then you'll turn to atheism and then you'll have depression and then the shrink will prescribe medicine for you and you'll never be able to live without the medicine. Right. So I said, yeah, you have to be careful. How you assess worship. Worship is the most important integral part of Islam that needs to be addressed and defined and Muslims must define themselves in terms of who and how they worship. Um, yeah, if you define yourselves in the way that this is the way I worship and this is who I worship, that obviously comes from the Prophet ﷺ. You worship the way he worships Allah <laughs> Even though the kafir, the non-believer, despises this idea. Uh, they look down upon Muslims and they condemn Muslims and mock Muslims and they ridicule Muslims and so on. So that's how uh, we must understand the scheme of worship in Islam. Rafi'u al-darajati dhul arsh yulqi al-ruha min amrihi ala man yasha'u min ibadihi liyunzira yawm al-talaq. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that through ibadah and through worship, of Allah unconditionally, He is the one who raises the ranks. Rafi'ud Darajat. So the one who worships Allah purely and sincerely, Allah raises their ranks. And their ranks will be visible in Jannah, not in this world. Right? Because the end of the ayah speaks of Yawm Taraq, the day of meeting, meeting Allah. Um, so you're meeting Allah, and when you meet Allah, He will raise your ranks and you will be allowed to now go into first class accommodations in Jannah and you will be upgraded and upgraded and upgraded. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will raise your grade and upgrade you. He is the one who raises the ranks of people who worship Him purely and sincerely. Why? Because He is the one of the Arsh which we discussed last week. Uh, those who carry Allah's throne and arsh, they are there and they petition Allah to forgive those who believe. Those who believe when they are petitioned by these huge, enormous angels, then Allah will respond to their call 
respond to their seeking forgiveness for these people and he will oblige them and say, okay, I will forgive you because you are seeking forgiveness for them. And then after I've forgiven them, I will raise their ranks. He raises the ranks. You know, the one who is always uh, going to be generous. So, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't uh, innately need to, nor does he desire to punish people. Okay. By definition and in his essence, he wants to favor and honor people because they are his creation. But how you go about that is up to you and in the form of your worship. So Allah's desire is to honor people and to raise their ranks because this is who he is. When you have this supreme sovereignty of being the creator, maker of the universe and you govern from a throne that is so magnificent, then you don't want to be seen as someone who's cheap and ruthless and a tyrant, right? Yeah. Doesn't work for some people now in our government. <laughs> they want to be seen as you know, ruthless. And so on. But usually people who have power and authority and if they have magnificent buildings in which they reside and they have beautiful palaces, then they want to make sure that everybody enjoys their rule. Right. They should do. So it is not that the authority over people should be translated in forms of generosity and kindness and welfare and so on. So you want to be known as a kind, just ruler, not as an oppressive and tyrant ruler. Even those who deceive people in the name of governance and government and policies and politicians and so on, they still want to be known. The optics are important. They want to be seen as benefiting their constituents. Right. They don't want to be seen as someone who's exploiting their constituents, with this exception. <laughs> right. Meaning that that's how people are. They, they, they want the optics. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because he has his magnificent throne from which he rules, he doesn't want to be known or seen by human beings as being oppressive or tyrant. So he says, Rafi'ud Darajat, that he, he raises the ranks of people for no reason and for every reason. Dhul Arsh is the one on the magnificent throne. So this is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to favor people and wants to forgive them and wants them to be. Uh, happy and fortunate in Jannah. Uh, he doesn't want them to be punished in any means. The people themselves, out of their stubbornness and their anger and their, their, their arrogance, and that they choose to incur Allah's wrath, which takes some doing. It's very easy to bring about Allah's rahmah, and it's very difficult to bring about Allah's anger. The two are not the same. Allah forgives for no reason. You say, Allah forgive me, he'll forgive you. But to anger Allah, it takes time. <laughs> A few decades uh, of stubbornness and arrogance and pride and all that. A few decades of this rebellion. And Allah will finally say, okay, you've incurred my wrath, so here it is. Mm. But Allah's uh, rahmah 
few seconds. Because he's a Dhul Arsh. Understand the term here in the Quran, Dhul Arsh. You have this magnificent throne, and when you're on this royal throne, then you want to be seen as regal, and someone who's generous and magnanimous, and all of that. So that's how we must see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this light of being someone who is immensely and innately noble and generous. يُرْقِ الرُّوحَ مِنْ أَمْرِهِ عَلَى مَنْ يَشَاءُ مِنْ عِبَادِي From his generosity is this, that he cast the ruh and he throws the ruh literally uh, from his command upon anyone from his servants whom he desires. Meaning Allah's uh, speech and communication and Allah's now amr and command comes down to human beings via the medium of another human being and that is divine favor. The fact that Allah shows you how to worship him is a divine favor. He didn't leave this to your imagination. Oh, human beings worship me. I'm not going to tell you how to worship me but I want you to worship me. If you get it right, then fine. If, if you don't get it right, then I'll punish you. He didn't do that. What did he do? Okay, he sends down the ruh with his command. And this is what I want you to do. One, two, three, four, five. The commands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are sent down upon his servants in the form of human beings. And those human beings transmit and translate Allah's command as a divine favor. That is the highest favor that Allah has given to human beings, that he has informed them how they must see him, how they must worship him, and what they must believe about him. He's told us. So that is a great favor from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, along with all the other worldly favors. This is the divine favor, the spiritual favor that Allah gives to human beings. So when you see that human being, you must see him as a favor to you. And you must not be annoyed or angered and become jealous and proud and arrogant and say, who is that person? Who is Muhammad? Why should we follow him? Why should we listen to him? Even being he lived in a desert uh, some 1400 years ago, what does he know about life and politics of today? So that human jealousy and narcissism and pettiness comes in and then people react. And even those who praise Muhammad as non-Muslims won't follow him. They won't worship God the way he worshiped God. Right. On one side, they, say they praise Muhammad, and on the other side, they reject him. So they're munafiqun. They're the worst hypocrites. That you know and recognize his worth and value, but yet you said, I'm not following you. They're worse than the person who doesn't know him. Because the person who doesn't know him still has an excuse. I don't know him. Right? Yeah. But anyway, this is Allah's fadl that he sends down the ruh, uh, the divine word and message upon his servant. And the, the, that messenger now explains Allah's amr and command to people. This is what Allah wants you to do. And this is what he doesn't want you to do. And then you live your life according to that mandate. And Allah will favor you. So that he may warn about the day of meeting. The day of meeting. The day of meeting is when Allah will meet 
all people and then he will judge and maybe he will rule all human beings and say this is what you have believed in and this is what you thought and this is how you behaved uh, in that order so the, the process will be first how do you uh, what do you think of Allah what do you believe about him and then uh, what do you think about him and then how did you go about living your life according to his rules and regulations and so on. Mm-hmm. So this is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who is the Arsh, uh, the one who rules from his uh, majestic throne and uh, he rules with favors. But for the Muslim, you don't look at the favors first, you look at him. Who is Allah? Allah is the one who is worthy of worship regardless of what he does. And then after you worship him, you ask him for favor and he obliges in different ways. Sometimes he gives you what you request, sometimes he delays the favor, sometimes he thwarts away potential imminent danger, and sometimes he stores the reward for you so that on the day of talaq, on the day of meeting, he will say, this is the reward for all the du'as you made and I did not uh, oblige you in the world, I'm now obliging you here. And the servant will say, if only none of my du'as were accepted. <laughs> right? So that's Yawm Talaq, the day of meeting. Anyway, we ask Allah to favor us, we ask Allah to give us providence and we ask Allah to allow us to worship him the way the Prophet worshipped him. Ameen ya Rabbil Alameen wa sallallahu ta'ala khir khalqi Muhammadin wa alihi wa sahabihi ajma'in. Rahmatika ya Rabbil Alameen.